Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Hey, everybody. It's Jared. Welcome to another episode of All Things Crime. Appreciate you being here. Excited to have an amazing guest. And I'll tell you, today we are delving into an area that I think I'm the most ignorant in as far as the crime goes. And so, frankly, cybersecurity scares the crap out of me every time I talk to experts like Ross here, because number one, it makes me recognize how unprepared I am. But then it also, some of the topics that we're going to get into today, I think, might put a little bit of a sense of urgency into everybody that's listening or watching this. So while we're at it, make sure to subscribe and smash that bell so that you get a notification every time a new episode drops. So we pretty much are every Tuesday putting out a new episode. And so thank you all of you that have subscribed and that are listening, especially we had an episode drop today about that, the four murders that happened up in Idaho. And a lot of interest in that one, just because it's it's one of those really scary ones in real life. But before we get too far into that one, Ross, first of all, before we actually get into everything that you do, why don't you describe a little bit? I mean, you're the you're the president and COO of Continuous Networks. And so describe a little bit about what that is and how you got into that. Sure. So we call ourselves, and most people don't know this term, a managed service provider, which is this fancy way of saying we handle IT for businesses. So you think about the IT guy. Who's the IT guy? Oh, they work for the company, or maybe they work outside of the company and they show up one or two days. At its core, that's ultimately what it is. But that's really what it was 20 years ago. It's changed a lot since then. And so Today, we go much further than just being the IT guy. Now we're the chief security officer. Now we're the chief information officer. We're the chief compliance officer. We bring all of these other things to the table for businesses. My particular business specializes in healthcare companies, healthcare practices, and construction companies. And we really got into those two particular verticals because that's where we were having the most success with our existing clients. And I've always been really passionate about documentation and compliance and really just having a good plan in place because it really sucks to do anything without a plan. (laughs) Yeah. Well, especially I would think in the healthcare space, yeah, I can't think of any anywhere that would be more devastating to have a security leak then, I mean, you've got people's intimate information there in the healthcare. Yeah. 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 No, it, not only that, but healthcare information is the most valuable information there is to a cyber criminal by far the most valuable. In fact, sometimes it's 10 times, 20 times what your average person's information. If you think about maybe our name, our address, our telephone number, our email address, maybe a few other pieces of information, maybe to a cyber criminal, that's worth a couple bucks, maybe a dollar. When you're talking about healthcare, like protected healthcare information, that could be worth 20 bucks, 30 bucks per record. So if you think about it, if you hit even a small medical practice that has over the course, let's just say very small, one doctor, you know, a few employees, but they've got a thousand records from all their patients over the years. Think about it, do the math. You think about what you can sell that for as a cyber criminal. And so that's why, and this is one of the big messages we're always trying to get across to people is, 
you're not too small. You're just too small to be in the news. That's not my quote. I stole that from somebody. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's awesome, though. Not too small. You're just too small to be in the news. Got it. Well, so so basically what you're saying then is cyber criminals typically don't do anything in particular with the information they steal. They sell it to people that do. Well, there's different types of cyber criminals. So I think that's one of the big common misconceptions is that a hacker is a hacker is a hacker. Well, first of all, hacker is not a bad term. There are good hackers, ethical hacking. There are hackers that work for the government. Good is subject. It's subjective, right? What does that really mean? So when we talk about cyber criminals, we're talking about people who break laws using cyber methodologies. They're breaking into computer systems. That's how we refer to them as a cyber criminal, or they're perpetrating some kind of a scam against somebody using those types of cyber methods. And so that's why cyber criminal tends to be a better term, a more widely accepted term, because it's got that negative connotation, the whole criminal aspect of it. There are plenty of people who are hackers who are doing things that are good. But there are different types of groups, and I think this is what people really misunderstand is that there isn't just one type of hacker and most of these companies, because that's what they are, they're companies that are doing this. You know, people think of that, that kid in his parents' basement eating pizza. That, that's not who these people are. These people are sophisticated business operations. In fact, oftentimes they have healthcare benefits for their employees. <laughs> they're operating out of countries that have no extradition with the United States. So their risk is very, very low. You know, one of the big types of cyber criminal activities we talk about a lot is ransomware attacks. And ransomware, if you've never heard of that before, is where a virus gets put onto a business user's computer, a business person's computer, and it encrypts all of the data, effectively locking that person out. So they can't access their files. They can't access their email. They can't access their business applications to be able to service their customers. All of that stuff is dead in the water. And the only way to get out of it is by paying the cyber criminal these ransoms. And this is why we've seen insurance companies raise their rates so significantly over the past few years, because it's the insurance carriers that are paying for most of these things when these companies land themselves in hot water. But the cyber criminal groups are broken up. And so you've got some that specialize in just getting that initial foothold inside of a company's network. Their job is just to break in and gain what we call persistent access. So persistent access just means I'm in your network and you don't know that I'm in your network and I can continue to access your network whenever I see fit. And that's important because what I want to do is I want to sell that access to another group of cyber criminals that specialize in doing something else. They don't specialize in persistent access. They specialize in data exfiltration. So there's certain activities I may have to do to break into a network and make sure I'm very, very quiet because the louder you are, the higher the chance that you're going to be detected. I sell that access to somebody else on the dark web. They buy that and they go in and they start exfiltrating data. Now they may pass that on if they've gotten all the data that they want because they'll go and sell that data on the dark web as well. Or maybe just for good measure, they'll sell or they'll hit the company with a ransomware attack. And that's gotten easier and easier for these types of groups to do it because there are companies now who have built brilliant pieces of ransomware software that they sell as a service. The same way you buy email from Microsoft. And you can buy this and hit companies with it to make money. And if you think about it, the risks are so very low because what does the FBI tell you? Well, listen, we'll do everything we can, but these people, like, we're not going to catch them most of the time. 
generally speaking, they're not in countries that we have any extradition with. There's just very little we can do. So their ability to actually research it and find out who's actually doing it is so low that because they're, it's all offshore, right? Most of the time, yeah. So the stuff that you hear about, and there's, a, you know, and, and this runs the gamut. I think that's what we always think about as businesses, is these people that want to break into our network, steal our data, hit us with ransomware. That's what we're always thinking about. But cybercrime goes obviously way beyond that. And there is a massive, massive world of cybercrime that is just impacting the average home, home user, parent, child, grandparent, stealing their identity, using their identity to perpetrate other scams against unsuspecting people and stealing their money from their bank accounts, you know, hitting them with phishing scams to get them to turn over their personal information so they can log into their email and try to exfiltrate data there. Maybe it's a coordinated attack. Maybe it's random. Uh, sometimes we equate it to phishing where, hey, listen, when you go out fishing in the morning as a fisherman, you don't say, hey, I know the 100 fish that I'm going to target today. I just know who they are. I've seen them swimming around before. I put a little laser pointer on them so I know where they are. I know who these fish are. I'm going to get those fish. No, you, you throw down a net and what, you bring up the net. and What's in the net is yours. And this works very similarly to that. Uh, there are attacks that are targeted. They are specific towards specific individuals. But I think most of those tend to be a business, a high-profile business. They tend to be, could be diplomats or other government officials, celebrities, things like that. Mm. So when you say you're never too small and, you know, you even brought up like families. So what would you recommend just right off the top for even families or small businesses to do to start their protection? Yeah, you know, there's always some fundamental stuff that is so important for everybody to do. And it's funny, I had a social media post just a couple of weeks ago where I was talking about what not to do when it comes to creating your passwords. And this still seems to be the case with most people creating passwords like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or password exclamation point, or P at symbol, five, five, W, zero, R, D, stuff like that, you know? permutations of a well-known word that we all know, which cyber criminals caught on to a very long time ago. And they now have all of these databases full of these various password permutations so that they can try and guess them. And one of the things I said in this post was, don't create passwords like this. And the biggest reaction, and, and this was really eye-opening, the biggest reaction I got was, I'll never remember that password. I'll never remember that password. And this is where people who work in my industry really just are very disconnected because they think about businesses and they make this assumption that everybody understands these very basic concepts, but they simply don't. The response that I kept giving to the tons and tons of comments that were on this post is, that's why we have password managers. That's why we have password managers. That's why we have password managers. You don't need to remember, you only need to remember one password. That's the whole beauty of a password manager. Just remember one, don't use that password anywhere else. And every other password you have, you can completely forget. You don't need to know it. You shouldn't know it. You'd never be able to tell anybody what that password is. That's the beauty of a password manager. And we've had those around for a long time. I, I use one password. I absolutely love it. Bitwarden is another great one. A lot of people use LastPass. Some of these things have free options. I know Bitwarden has a free option. LastPass has a free option. It's just a no-brainer thing that anybody should be doing at this point for their family. I think most people don't want to do the work. They don't want to say, hey, you know, I've got like 200 sites that I have accounts on here. I should go through and change all these passwords because you'd have to sit down on a Saturday and do it. 
or make a plan that over the next three months, I'm going to spend a little bit of time each weekend and just go through and start changing these passwords with my password manager. Thing is, once you start doing it, it really takes off. And another great thing about these password managers is every time you save a website that you have an account with, they will tell you if that website supports multi-factor authentication. So, you know, using a code on your phone as a secondary method of login, you put in your username and password, and then you have a code on your phone and go, okay, it was a six-digit code, now I got to enter that. And the beauty of those password managers is they can also act as that code generating tool, meaning that you don't have to pick up your phone and look at it. You can just have a plugin in your browser where you go to the website, like LinkedIn, put in your username and password, it asks you for the code, and then the password manager immediately fills that in for you. And so it's that secondary level of authentication, and it doesn't take away the nice convenience aspect that people want, because that's why they're doing this. They're doing it for convenience reasons. And so anytime you have a website that you've got a username and password to, and it doesn't, it, you know, it supports multi-factor authentication, and you don't have that, it'll tell you. Say, here are the 20 sites that support it, and you're not using it. So go out there and get those things enabled right now. That's really, really important. So getting a password manager, making sure all your passwords are at least 15 characters in length, not based on dictionary words. They should use numbers, letters. Length always trumps complexity. An eight character password with special characters and letters and numbers is not as good as a 15 character password with just letters. It's going to be harder to crack because it's so much longer. Mm. Um, so those are two, two very strong recommendations I make. A lot of the recommendations I also make are just, they don't cost any money. They're free. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a thought process. It's a mindset. Yeah. I started using LastPass a while back and I have to admit it was kind of not necessarily scary, but it was just kind of you know, pain in the rear to, to start. But now that I've been using it a little while, it's actually pretty simple. So yeah. even, you know, cyber degenerates like myself can, if we, if, if I can use it, then other people can too. So, yeah. so what happens when you have a company or a person, for example, that contacts you and they say, Hey, I've been hacked. I'm in trouble. What do I do? Yeah. So with my company, that never happens from an individual user or family. It would happen from a company. I generally, and this is going to sound kind of strange, but I generally don't work with them. The first thing I will do is try to give them some recommendations. Do you have an IT company that you're working with? Do you have a security company that you're working with? Have you reached out to them to let them know? Generally speaking, if they're calling me, it's probably because they don't trust that company or they don't like that company. But the fact is, usually that company knows quite a bit more about this business than I do. And so it doesn't make sense for me to come in to a company that's been hacked and try to bail them out of a situation when I know almost nothing about their business or the way their computer network is set up. And so I will tell them and recommend, listen, I'll help you if it absolutely, that's absolutely what you need. But I would strongly recommend you work with the company that you already are working with because they're going to understand how to do this a little bit better. And if you want me to come in and provide some guidance and, and things like that, I can point you in the right direction to make sure you're making good decisions around what the next steps are that you need to take. Uh, one of the things I say to people all the time is, the first call, like when you think about this, you think about getting hacked, who's the first person you should call? And I, I use this as like a kind of a quiz when I'm quizzing clients. Who do you think is the first person you should call if something like this happens? And they say, well, you. And I say, that's fine if we have an agreement in place and you know that the first call I'm going to make when I hear this is to the attorney. <laughs> because one way or another, everything that happens from that point forward needs to be protected under attorney-client privilege. We need mm -hmm. to do that. 
because we don't need anybody saying or doing anything that is going to be used against you later on. And I certainly don't want that happening to my business either. So we have specific attorneys, breach attorneys that we work with where they know exactly how to handle those situations. They know exactly how to work and guide the entire situation. And then you have to bring in an incident response expert, somebody who understands how to respond to those things. And hopefully, and I don't find this with a lot of businesses, but hopefully they have some kind of a policy or process in their company. We call them an IRP, an incident response plan that walks them through what they're supposed to do, who's responsible, what are the actions that they need to take, how to do this. And that should outline, listen, you got to call your breach attorney. Who is it? Make sure their name and contact information is right there in the plan. Wow. Awesome. That is, I need to talk to my, my operations guy and see what we have in place because yeah, we may be calling you. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that, that I wanted to talk to you and you know what, before we get into that, for those of you that are on LinkedIn or other places, you absolutely need to follow Ross because he puts out some of the funnest videos in, you know, granted cybersecurity and all this kind of thing for a lot of us isn't necessarily the most thrilling type of subject, but I, I think the way, and LinkedIn is, is where we've met initially and that's just such an amazing resource for even a small business, you know, but all level of people that are doing any kind of business. And I would definitely follow Ross. So it's Ross Browse. I don't know if there's a particular, you know, site that you have. And then definitely his podcast is called Legends of IT. So definitely follow that too. And we'll put those links in the show notes. But I just think it's really important to, to follow people like you because you can garner so much information in regards to just little things that you can do, like even hearing, you know, about LastPass and things like that. That's, I've learned a ton from your videos and I really enjoy them. So just encourage you to keep, keep plugging along, man. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't consider myself a true cybersecurity person because most of those people, I don't know, they're, they're not necessarily the people that you might want to have talking to your clients and the ones that, the ones that you do, you know, they, they tend to speak in tongue and you don't really understand a lot of the words that they're saying because this is what they do all day. My focus has always been marketing and sales and communication to people to try to understand and take this complex topic and make it fun and make it relatable and make it understandable because Listen, it's impacting all of us. It is not something that just affects businesses. It is affecting more people every day. And it has gotten dramatically worse since the pandemic started a few years ago. And it's going to continue to go that way because I was giving a presentation on Thursday night to a bunch of my clients. And one of the stats that I'm sharing with them is that there are now three times as many connected devices in the world as there are human beings. So about 8 billion of us, there are 24 billion devices connected to the internet. And in two years time, by 2025, the average connected person is going to interface with these devices up to 5,000 times per day. So if you think about the risk that we all have as connected users, and anybody who's got an iPhone or an Android or a computer is a connected user, the risks that we all have are tremendous and they're just growing exponentially. And everybody needs to become aware of the threats and the risks that they're facing when they go out there. I mean, you're effectively walking through a very, very, very bad neighborhood every day you go online. And it isn't just the tools that are going to protect you. It's your street smarts, your common sense, 
your ability to understand what you're seeing and how you're interacting with the things that you come in contact with throughout the course of the day on the internet, that's what's really going to protect you. Oh, that's amazing. You know, having a military background as well as, you know, some of the things that they teach you in the military as far as hand-to-hand combat and those kind of things. I I picked up a lot of some of the classes that I took. It, it seems like every single one of them, whether it was, you know, personal safety or just general awareness, th- everything they start with is understand what is around you, understand what the threats are around you. And I think what you just said is so critically important because how many people really understand that magical little device that's, you know, in your pocket can actually be your downfall. You know, we just, because it's not a perceived physical threat, we just don't view it in a way that we really should. And boy, having boys that are 12 and 11, it's, it's incredible just trying to, you know, (laughs) not, not just prepare them for the different aspects that they're experiencing now going into junior high and things like that, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, starting to do video games and starting to get into watching lots of YouTube videos and all the other things that teenagers do. And there are some really bad people that are out there that are Mm -hmm. trying to target them. And uh, I think that's a really good transition into that. So in, in particular, and this is what we were talking about a little bit before is when, and I got this idea specifically to have you on because of one of the videos that you did on LinkedIn talking about how our kids are in danger. Mm-hmm. So why don't you throw out what that video was about first and then and then we'll expound from there. Yeah, sure. So it was it was one of a series of videos that I've released two of. Actually, there was another one that came out today. And it's about the fact that schools and, and I'm starting to find out that this is beginning to happen. My sister is actually a teacher and she saw the same video. I posted it to Instagram and she reached out to me and she goes, "Ooh, ooh I got to tell you, like, we're actually starting to do this in my school. I'm like, that's fantastic because that's not the norm. It's not the norm that schools are teaching our kids about basic cybersecurity, hygiene and awareness. It's just, it's not a thing. And so the video was really about how we as parents, our kids are at risk because they're not receiving this level of education. Teachers in our schools are not given cybersecurity training. They don't understand those types of things. And we're starting to see more and more schools get targeted. The video I released today, which was the second part of that series, talked about a school, two counties in Michigan that were shut down for three straight days and then kind of hobbled along through the rest of the week because of a ransomware attack that took place in that school district. And so cybercrime is not only affecting our own personal safety and our financial well-being and our reputation, but it's affecting our children's education. I mean, it's affecting people's ability to perform surgeries in hospitals and people are, you know, actually dying. I didn't bring this up and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but people are actually dying from these things when a hospital is unable to take care of its patients because of a ransomware attack. So these things are really important to be going on in our schools because the sooner all of our children learn these concepts, they're going to bring those things up with them into the workforce. They're going to bring all of the stuff that we work so hard today to try to train people on and engage them and be relatable to them so they don't just see it as some dry, boring, you know, like HR video that they have to watch. Our kids have the opportunity to bring that with them into the workforce. 
And I think that's an important thing, but it's got to be in the curriculum in our schools. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.